1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, those also who are suffering according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Let me read that again. Therefore, those who are those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God. How can it be God's will that we suffer? It absolutely is God's will that we suffer. What kind of God would, would want us to suffer? Oh, like a God that cares about us? A God that wants to teach us things through suffering, through the things that we go through? That's, that's uh, you know, there, there's, there's that level of concern, that level of concern for us. Uh, if you look in um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. For it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It is because God considers us his children that he allows us to suffer. Because he's trying to teach us something. This is the Christian life. So when it says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God, this is to remind us it is the will of God that we go through suffering. It is for discipline that we endure. God deals with us as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And, and uh, if he doesn't discipline us, he, it says that, that we would be illegitimate children. The example that we have throughout the scriptures is an example of suffering. The New Testament in particular. So in Acts chapter 14, Paul was in a city and he was stoned to death. They threw stones at him, presuming him to be dead. And then he... <clears throat> sat back up, and he went through the towns preaching and teaching again. And in verse 22 of Acts chapter 14, it says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There are, there are things that happen in our lives that are very hard to understand. And I don't understand all of suffering or how he, God, decides what suffering a person goes through. And it is different for everybody. But God has this as something for us. This is part of what he has for us. <clears throat> this pattern is over and over again stressed in the New Testament. Look in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. They didn't love their life even when faced with death. There is something that he puts before us. How do we overcome? They overcame him, number one, because of the blood of the Lamb. It's because of Jesus that we are in the position that we are. It's because of Jesus. Jesus does everything. Jesus is so good. They overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony. 
as we continue to, to take hold of the word of God, the word of our testimony. This has tremendous power, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. This is how they overcame the enemy. The blood of the lamb, their testimony, and then their life wasn't even loved even unto death. Uh, look again in Romans chapter 5. This pattern is seen throughout the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He says we exult in our tribulations. Uh, uh, it's given proven character. This is what proves us, is, is this sort of tribulation. And then if you just look up just above the portion in, in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, look back up at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the suffering of Christ, keep on rejoicing. To the degree that we share the suffering of Christ, there is rejoicing. And I don't understand all of it, but, <clears throat> but I know that in the end, it, it, it works. Let me, <clears throat> let me read you an email that came to me this week. As many of you know, there's this young man on the internet named Dave Farina, who's been saying a lot of things about me. Many of the things that he says are just not true. And... Uh, um, you know, but <clears throat> anyway, so a man wrote to me, he says, Greetings, Dr. Tour. Thank you for standing up against the consensus science of its cheerleading section of online bullies, such as the fraudulent Professor Dave Farina. My wife worked for one of the most distinguished law firms in Chicago. She watched your videos and commented that you actually have a solid defamation libel case against Farina. He usually likes to bully the less educated class, but verbally assaulting with intent of malice a prominent sitting distinguished professor is going too far. The Farinas of the world will not stop until you take away their time, take away their time and or money. Only then will they reconsider. All the evidence you need is published in his hateful videos and comment sections. Please seriously consider taking legal action, not only for your own sake, but for everyone out there, all, all the, all, everyone out there that Farina has and currently is attempting to destroy with his hateful vitriol. So here's what I wrote back to him. Uh, Dear so-and-so, thank you for your kind concern, but I will not sue anyone. Interestingly, Origin of Life community will be exposed, and we have Dave Farina to thank for this. Because Dave Farina, because of Dave Farina, the entire Origin of Life research community is going to be revealed and, and know that their nonsensical claims about uh, of, of what they've said is going to be exposed. Um, I'm just doing the job that the reviewers of their papers should have done. So we are indebted to Dave. If it had not been for him, little of this would have come out. He forced my hand. I had to respond since he also attacked my faith in Jesus. 
Thus, I thank God for Dave. Truly, he's God's instrument to shake me out of my lethargy in entering this battle. Through all of this, more attention is coming to the field, and I'm fine with it, therefore. Plus, it thickens my skin, which needed to be thickened. Then I gave him this example. I said, until Pearl Harbor, the U.S. would not engage to defend the free world. Japan poked the sleeping giant. Japanese Admiral Hirosoku Yamamoto, regarding, regarding the 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor by the forces of the Imperial, Imperial Japan, said, I fear, we have, I fear we have done what we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with terrible resolve. Uh, to the extent that I suffer, I am blessed. In all this attack on me, I am able to receive comfort from the Lord. But to the degree that you share in this suffering, it says in 1 Peter 4.13, the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing. It is to the degree. Hence, I am receiving much rejoicing these days. Uh, the more he wants me to suffer, the more I end up rejoicing. But to who can Dave appeal for help? Nobody. This, therefore, will be quite painful for him. Jesus, open his heart, I pray. You know, the more videos he comes out with now, the more data points I have to go after. It's really quite amazing. And, and uh, God takes the whole thing and he shifts the whole argument. He shifts the whole thing. This is exactly what the New Testament says. Had I not undergone this attack, I wouldn't have gone after the origin of life field nearly to the, nowhere close to the degree that I had to do it. And it forced me to have to study and to read all of their papers and to evaluate all of their papers. And it's an enormous amount of time for you who have done YouTube videos. I, I you know, remember, I'm not doing a TikTok video where I do a dance and just post it right up there. I would say for every hour of video, it's probably, probably about 40 hours of time for every hour of video, about 40 hours of my time, and then it's about 40 hours of production time. So it's an enormous amount of time, and those who have done videos will know exactly what I'm talking about, because I have to read a lot of papers, and then you say, oh, I just look at the paper and I understand it. No, I actually have to read the paper, and I have to go into the experimental, where you could have a paper that's four pages long, and the experimental section can easily be 65 or 100 pages. Because these are sections taken out of students' theses that go into these papers. So you read a short paper, there's a lot of research that's gone on behind that. And that's in the, in the supplemental section. And so that's the part that I have to read. And then I have to formulate an argument around that uh, in a way that the late person is going to understand it. Because I'm not just speaking to the professionals. And in all of this, I am greatly blessed. This is exactly what he's saying here. He says, therefore, those of you who suffer according to the will, will of God, so we suffer according to the will of God. This is all in God's hand, and it's taken me, you know, when this first happened, I didn't, you know, appreciate it in this sense. Now I appreciate this attacker so much more. I really appreciate him. Because had he not kept pushing me, I wouldn't have done this. And I'm getting all this email traffic now from people that are coming back to the Lord. People that said that they left the Lord because of what they learned in high school, what they learned in college. And they're seeing that maybe they made a mistake. And so I'm getting all of these people that are touched through this. 
I never would have imagined that it would have this type of effect. How could God get me, stir me up to do this? It was through this sort of attack, through this sort of ridicule for people telling lies about me. And, and, and uh, um, it's so hard to correct something. Somebody can say something, and to correct it can take hours of video to correct misstatements. <clears throat> and that's, that's sort of what it does. So I'm thankful. This is what he says. He says, therefore, for those who suffer, verse 19 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, for those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their soul to a faithful creator. I entrust my soul to a faithful creator. We are to entrust our soul. I really believe that Jesus is faithful. As it, as it says in, in uh, uh, John chapter 8, verse 26, he who sent me is trustworthy. He who sent me is trustworthy. I really trust him. I really trust him. I trust him with my salvation. I trust him with my eternity. I trust him with my life. I trust him with my family. It is a blessed thing to be able to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust him and to just trust Jesus. It is so good when we trust him. You trust his soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. What are we supposed to do in the midst of it? Just keep doing what is right. It says that we are to trust our soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. We continue to do what is right. We press on doing what is right. This is what we are told to do. Continue to do that which is right. Continue to act in this way. Continue to do the things that are right. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God prepared works before the foundation of the world. He prepared works beforehand that we would walk in them. He has works for us to walk in. Sometimes we don't walk in it. So he turns up the heat. He has these works for us to walk in. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are his workmanship. You belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. You belong to him. You belong to him. You are not your own anymore. You are not your own. If you think you're your own, fine. Go ahead. Live your life that way. Let me know how it goes. The Bible says something very different. It says you are not your own. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Jesus bought you. Jesus bought you. Remember, we talked about this before. Once we receive Christ, we don't have to submit to him. We can go ahead and continue in our own way. And that's why he urges us in Romans chapter 12. He urges us to submit our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to him. He urges us to do this. Then we willingly submit ourselves as a bond slave. And that's where the relationship really comes. When you submit your life as a bond slave to Jesus, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Did you know that he made you in order to do good works? He didn't make you just to attend a church on Sunday. He made you to be active in good works. 
These good works he prepared beforehand because he knows everything in advance. Nothing surprises him. He's made these works, and he has this for you. There is so much here packed in here. All right, let's move on now to, uh, um, to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's start reading from chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort you, therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but providing, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so he exhorts the elders among you. Elders, this is the leadership in the church. He says, I'm exhorting you. So now he's speaking to the leadership in the churches. Remember, this is an encyclical going to several churches there in Asia Minor. And he says, he says, uh, um, uh, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. He's exhorting them. He could well have commanded them. He's an apostle. He could well have commanded them. In fact, most of his book is, is a bunch of commands. It's all imperatives. That's what apostles do. There are commandments that come through the apostles. And that's where most of our commandments in the New Testament come from. But here he's saying, I'm not commanding you, which he well could have done. He says, I'm exhorting you. I'm urging you. The elders among you, as your fellow elder. He doesn't even say, I'm exhorting you as an apostle. Nor does he say, I'm exhorting you as, you as the chief elder, which he could have done. He says, I'm exhorting you as a fellow elder. You see how he's, he's equalizing with them. He says, I'm just exhorting you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter witnessed the sufferings of Christ. None of these other people, or very few of them, if any, had ever witnessed the sufferings of Christ. And we know that because he, he said to them that they are babes in Christ earlier on in the same book. So they were somewhat new believers. And he says, I've witnessed, I witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He himself witnessed the sufferings of Christ. He says, and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He says, there's going to be a glory that's going to be revealed and I'm going to be partakers of it. But he's exhorting them. What's he exhorting them to do? Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. He wants them to shepherd. That is the the image that he uses. The imagery that he uses is you are a shepherd taking care of a flock. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. You are to exercise this not out of compulsion. Nobody's making you be a shepherd. Nobody's forcing you to take oversight of the church. Of, of, of this flock. He says, you, it's not under compulsion, but it's voluntary. But it's also according to the will of God. You have to have both. A person has got to want to be an overseer, and it's got to be the will of God. Sometimes you see people and they'll say, well, I think I'll go into the ministry. Why do you want, well, I, I, I couldn't do anything else. You know, I, 
wanted to be an engineer. I wasn't very good at that. I, you know, I, I, I tried going into business. I wasn't very good at that. Actually, if you're going to be the overseer of a church, you'd probably be good in many things that you do. Really. You'd probably be good in many things. Uh, it's not the last resort that people resort to when there's nothing else that they, can, that, that they were successful at. I think I'll go work for the church. No, just the opposite. The overseer in a church is actually somebody who could have been very successful in anything. If you, if you meet a successful pastor... They easily could have gone into business, could have gone into other fields and been very good and very successful at it. They are, they are uh, amazingly talented people. I mean, you look at the pastor of this church, Roger. Roger was, uh, uh, he's really a talented guy. Uh, and and he, many, many things that he could have done. And, and he, says, he says that it's got to be coupled with the will of God. You can't just say, well, I think I'll do this. There's got to be a calling that God calls these overseers in the church. It's got to be a calling coupled with voluntary, that they've got to have wanted it, and there has to be a calling. Both of those are really important. There must be the calling. And he says, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not for sordid gain. I mean, generally, pastors don't make a whole lot. I mean, some might, but generally... They don't. Generally, the, the, the people in their congregations will often make much more than they do. And uh, it's not for sordid gain, but it's with eagerness. It's something you've got to eagerly desire to do. If you see somebody and you're thinking, wow, you'd be a great pastor, unless they eagerly desire that position, eagerly desire that position, it's better they don't become a pastor. It's really better they don't. Because it's something that you've really got to want to do. Because it's a, it's a very, very hard life. Uh, if you think being a pastor is easy, you're wrong. That is one job I would never want to have. That is a very hard job. When I look, you, you know what, you know, so, sometimes, sometimes women will come up to me and tell me all the struggles they're having with their, with their wayward husband. And... Just listening to them for five minutes, I find it draining. Pastors have to hear this all day, all the time. One after another, person comes to their office. And it's these other things about marital breakup. People you've known for 10 years, 15 years, marriages, and now they're coming to your office to talk about how they're going to be breaking up. And, and you know the pain that the children are going to go through. These children who you saw since birth that you dedicated them when they were, when they were born and, and, and uh, the pain that you have to go through. And then it's, it's constant funerals in a church like this where we have newborns all the time and we have a lot of old people as well and it's constant funerals. I think for the last several months there's been a funeral every week in this church, right? I mean, it's just constant. And this is because that's life. The church is a, is a picture of what life is all about. And so you're constantly having to go to funerals and encourage people in the loss of their loved ones. It is a very difficult life to be the overseer of a church. So if you ever want to go into the pastorate, I want you to think about this. And this is what he's telling them. He says, think about this. It is a very difficult life. If you think the pastor has it easy, you're wrong. And then the pastor's wife, 
I mean, everybody is always looking at her to see how she's going to respond. And the pastor's kids, people are always looking at them to see how they act, how they behave. Very difficult life. And that's what he's warning them about. He says, but do this with eagerness. God's given you this gift. Verse 3, not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. You know, being a, being a pastor is very different than being a, a boss. Uh, people work in my laboratory. They have, they have applied to school. Uh, uh, they get a salary that I control, which is a pretty good deal. I mean, you get to go to school and a PhD, and you get paid for it. So, so that's a very good deal. So you really ought to appreciate that. And I remind them all the time how much they should appreciate that. Because they say there's a lot of people going to med school and law school that pay a lot of money to do that, and they don't get paid to do it. So it's a pretty good deal. But also I hold the purse strings, and I hold their graduation, and their things that I hold over them, that I control. It is much different in the church. People are serving voluntarily. You're not paying them. They're serving voluntarily. They're doing all these things, so the relationship is very different. It's not a boss and an employee. And all you can do is lead by example and encourage them. This is what you do. You encourage them and you lead by example. You lead by example. This is what the overseer has to do. This is tremendous instruction. This is what the leadership of a church has to do. They have to lead by example. You know, the pastor has to make hospital runs. You talk about a church this size, there are people in the hospitals continuously. And so we have pastors that just all they do is visit the hospitals, but Roger's there by their side. I mean, they all take turns visiting those who are in the hospitals, those who are infirmed. Uh, this is what they have to do, and they have to lead by example. It is not easy. Pastoring a church, I, I saw Roger last week, and, and he came up to me and said, Roger, I've been praying for you. I mean, just, just my thinking about all that he has to deal with, I want him to know I'm praying for him. Pray for your pastor. It is a lot of work. They have to lead by example. And in verse 4, it talks about the promise of what they're going to receive. When the chief shepherd, you know, talks about the good shepherd. Here's talking about the chief shepherd appears, meaning that Jesus Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus does the same thing. You are following his image. He talks about shepherding the flock. He says Jesus is the chief shepherd. He lived by example. There were no salaries there. He lived by example. Uh, the chief shepherd appears. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the unfading victor's crown. This, this crown that he's talking about is the Stephanos crown. The Stephanos crown is this this, this wreath that a victor would win at, at, at some sort of a, a game or some sort of battle. They put a wreath around his head or her head. Or, and uh, um, so this wreath that they're talking about, he says it's going to be unfading. So typically this sort of crown would be fading, but this one wasn't fading. Now in verse 5, he says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. There is so much blessing that young people forego that they never get because they've never learned how to be submissive to the leadership of a church. 
I never learned. I always wanted to get to know my pastor. I always wanted to get to know the leadership of my church when I was your age. And, and uh, I spent a lot of time with them. I spent a lot of time around them. And I helped to serve them. You know, I, my back was very good at those in that day, and I carried a lot of baggage. I moved a lot of chairs. I carried a lot of tables. And I wanted to, to submit to them in the sense that it talks about, likewise, be subject to your elders. It doesn't mean that you're, they're your God or anything, but I wanted to learn from them, and I wanted to serve them. We forego lots of blessing when we don't learn to serve the leadership of a church. One of the best things that you can do to have people to be put up into leadership positions in your life is to learn how to acknowledge leadership. Because when you acknowledge leadership, God can then bring you up. You acknowledge the leadership, and you serve your leaders, and then God brings you up. It's really amazing what happens, this path. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. And remember the principle of sowing and reaping is not you plant a seed and you get a seed. You plant one kernel of corn you'll get, I don't know, 10,000 kernels of corn in return. Whatever you sow, that you shall reap. Many times over, you will reap it many times over. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. You want people to submit to your leadership? Submit to leadership in your life. And that's how you get it. It's this pattern in Scripture over and over again. It says, the Bible tells us that man is the head of woman, Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ. It's a very interesting arrangement. Jesus is very much, very much part of the Godhead. But in his flesh, he submitted to God the Father. In his flesh, he was submitted to God the Father. And it uses this pattern. And men will come to me, they're like, you know, my wife don't, doesn't listen to me, my kids don't listen to me, and I'm like, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that they don't listen to you. You don't listen to anybody yourself. You don't listen to the leadership in the church. You're not under anybody. Why should they be under your authority? You have this umbrella of authority in the church, and now you step out under this, Everybody who's supposed to be under the umbrella of your authority is now outside this line of leadership. You step out from this, your whole life falls apart. As a believer, when you step out from under authority in the local church, you'll have real trouble having authority even in the workplace. You know, if you have to pound your fist on the table and tell people, I'm the boss here, you're not the boss. The boss does not have to say, I'm the boss. People just know it. People just know it. If you have to say, I'm the boss, then there's a problem. And, and uh, uh, when you come under proper leadership, there is enormous blessing. What you can do as young people is learn the pattern of leadership, both at work and in the church. The chair of my department, he's the department chair. He's much younger than me. I was there when he was hired. I was there when voting on his tenure. But now he's chair of the department. You say, well, why aren't you chair? I don't want to be chair. But now that he's chair, he's in control. I'm under a dean. I'm under a provost. 
and, and under the president of the university. There's a chain of command. There's a chain of leadership. When we start to understand this, our lives go much, much better. I urge unbelievers, if you do not know the Lord, please give me an opportunity to share the Lord with you. It is so hard for you to come under these things and to accept these things without knowing the Lord. Please give me that opportunity. Come to me and I will share with you today. If you have a friend, bring them to lunch today. I will share with them. Just just give me the high sign that you're bringing this friend and this friend doesn't know the Lord and you're done. You've done your part. You just let me know and I'll take it from there. All right? You just sit alongside and, 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 and uh, we'll get it done. We'll, we'll share the Lord with them. Uh, if you're online, please send me an email and I'll meet with you. Even if I have to meet with you this evening, I'll meet with you by Zoom and, and I'll share the Lord with you. Give me that opportunity. And, uh, um, but let's learn leadership and let's learn that suffering is exactly God's way. It is God's will that we suffer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for all the grace and the mercies that you've shown forth toward us. Father, thank you for your kindness. Lord, I pray that these young people would learn, learn what it is to submit to the leaders of the church, to learn how to serve them and honor them. Father, I pray your blessing, your blessing to be there on them. Father, I pray that, that, uh, um, that your blessing would be upon these young people as they experience hardship in their lives, as they experience testing and suffering. Father, your grace be there, I pray. Your blessing in the name of Jesus. Father, please save a soul today. Even over lunch, save a soul today. And Lord, we lift this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.